All right, how are y'all? Good, I am very sleepy this morning for some reason. It can't be the like three or four cups of coffee I drank. I don't know why I'm still suffering with sleep. So I might go into a narcoleptic fit and go asleep in the middle of the sermon. If I do, you proceed without me, all right? <laughs> all right, Colossians chapter 2, if you want to take your Bible and turn there, Colossians 2. Keep Justin in your prayers. Talk to him a little bit this morning. Uh, he said he went to the ER last night. Uh, well, he went at about 5, and finally, let, if, I, if I understand correctly, uh, he left around midnight and still hadn't seen anyone. Um, so he's at home now. He's just got a bad headache. Um, just needs some rest, you know, and he's hit the pause button for a second. Uh, but uh, he's uh, still uh, just as sarcastic. I mean, he was texting me sarcastic stuff even with a headache, so he was still on point there. Um, all right, Colossians chapter number two. I love the book of Colossians. It's, it's a great New Testament epistle, uh, probably one of my favorites, only second to Romans. Romans, my absolute top of the line, number one. Uh, if I had to be stuck on a desert island somewhere and I'd only got one book of the Bible to pick, it would be that one. Uh, my, my runner-up choice would be Colossians. I, I really like it. Um, I like it because what Paul, Paul really deconstructs what has gone on with the gospel. That's what I like about it. Uh, he really breaks it down. He tells you and I what is actually functional in us because of the gospel. Now, he does that in various places throughout the New Testament. Don't get me wrong. But I really feel like in Colossians, he really hones in on it quite a bit. Now, uh, we're going to pick a section here, to be quite honest with you, uh, really, in Colossians chapter 2, to get a good idea of what's going on. You really need to look at the entire chapter. We don't have time for that. I wish we did. We just don't. Um, But maybe we'll get to it one day. Who knows? Uh, But we're going to look at verses starting in verse number, let's see here, verse number 8, and go down probably, I don't know, we'll we'll see where we stop reading. I'm going to really handle verses 11 through 14 this morning. Uh, And I want us to talk about this. I want us to talk about the resurrected you. And I want you to think about this as we begin today. We've heard the phrase born again. It's almost a trite term anymore, isn't it? Uh, But it's a a good term to be somewhat familiar with. I'm glad it's familiar in the world. I mean, even the world knows it. They use it as kind of a term of derision. You know, like, oh, they're a born again Christian, you know. Uh, It was kind of politicized in the late, in the 80s and the 90s with a lot of... uh, that, uh, you know, that uh, moral majority, you know, um, political movement, uh, that's really where it began to be demonized, really. And uh, it's a good term. I don't think we should abandon it at all. I mean, it's a very good term. I mean, why let somebody else hijack a phrase uh, that Jesus himself used, right? And uh, really here, but I want to ask you this. When we use the term born again, we use that term in reference to a person being different than they were after coming to contact with Jesus. But let me ask you this. What's so different about you? All right. What makes you different? Um, you know, is it because you go to church on Sunday? No, not really. You know, there's lots of people who go to church on Sunday and they are the same person they've always been. What makes a born-again person different? Now, I can remember when I first started going to church, um, after I was born again, I, I got saved. Uh, I was alone when I, I was born again, uh, which was kind of a struggle for me after I started going to church. Because after you go to church, uh, you hear people talk about what it means to be born again in relation to their experience, rather than in relation uh, to what Jesus has done and your trust in that. Uh, it's, I don't think anybody does it on purpose. It just happens, you know. You hear a pastor, and he's like, I was in a service, and I came down front, 
And I just began to weep and cry and call it. Hey, and that's great, man. I mean, I've had those experiences uh, in a church service before. But when you're a new believer, you have to be very careful because it projects into somebody's mind that their salvation's wrapped around. Like you're like, I remember thinking, well, I was that didn't happen when I I got I got saved, you know. And then you hear the, the sinner's prayer. Who's heard of the sinner's prayer before? Oh my God, that is, those are the magic words. I mean, if you don't say that particular grouping of words, and then I thought that for a little while. So I, I didn't struggle with any of this until I started going to church regularly. <laughs> After I was born again, everything was fine. I was great, you know. And then I can remember hearing about the sinner's prayer, and I thought to myself, oh, man, I don't know if I, maybe I didn't get it right. So uh, I was in my house when uh, uh, I lived with my dad at the time because I was only 18 or 19. And uh, I remember kneeling down at my bed and saying, Lord, if I didn't say the words right, here they are. And I tell you what, that prayer right there, I mean, it was accurate to a T, you know what I mean? I knew, after, you know, about another year of growing spiritually, I realized it was silly, you know, that, to, to think that words are going to make me different. But we think that sometimes, don't we? What makes us different? Why do we say that we're not who we were? Well, the, the reason's going to be answered or the question's going to be answered here. Uh, so let's read it together. Uh, again, I'm reading the New King James Version. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you. And that's what happened to me. I got cheated immediately after I was born again. It says, Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to who? Christ. That is where everyone is cheated. There, is, there are things that religion brings in that the enemy has crafted into a system that he brings in to the mind of the believer that has everything to do with everything but Christ. I mean, it's a whole lot of good stuff. It's all these really clean, good-looking things, but it has something, the focus is on everything but Jesus, you know. And some people behave differently under that system, don't they? Things begin to change for them. But the problem is, is if you remove the system... You also change that behavior because, you see, the, they were cheated. They were duped. They were tricked because the change that they thought they were experiencing really wasn't a person. It was really just an environment. You know, that's why some of you young people, that's why some of you, when you get out of the house, you're going to be done with attending a church with everyone. You're going to go off and do your own thing. You know why? Because you thought your, cha- your change has been dictated to you by your environment. And you've believed a lie that says, you know, this is who I am because this is where I'm at when it's not true. The real position is where you're at in Christ. And so Paul says, you know, don't let anybody cheat you with that. He goes on and he says in verse number 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that verse there itself is a sermon. And in verse number 10 is very key. And it's going to tie kind of this whole chapter. Verse, Verse 10 is just the the apex of this entire chapter. But he says, And you are complete in him who is the power of all principalities and power. Now, he goes on and he explains this completeness because he says, In him you were also circumcised. It seems like every time I preach, that word is in my sermon somehow. (laughs) I don't know why I do this to myself. But uh, it's not bad, you know. Anyways, and the problem is, is to like, 
take the edge off the word. It's like there's like a thousand jokes running through my mind right now. I know that would completely derail the sermon. So he says, "...in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith and the working of God." Who raised him from the dead? And you being dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, Jewish Roots Movement, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross." Why? Because he's disarmed the principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them in verse 15. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is who? It's Christ. You know what he's saying there? He's not saying, hey, if you want to observe these things, it's fine. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't let anybody stand in those observances and then look across them at you and judge you. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, well, we can't judge the person that observes all these things. Uh, and he's not encouraging judgment. But he's saying, you don't accept the judgment from a person that's going to stand in some kind of ceremonial thing and then look at you and tell you there's something wrong with you. You don't want to get in a ceremony argument with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> you know, he's going to win that thing. He really focuses in on, this ver- on these verses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately... In a lot of our in a lot of our gospel preaching, uh, the resurrection tends to be like a footnote to what ha- what happened. Uh, you know, uh, I think maybe the the enemy to an extent has maybe downplayed it a little bit. You know, and try to say, well, yeah, yeah, he died, but let's take this. If I can't get rid of he died for your sin, let me just kind of hit the mute button on this whole resurrection business. Because when do we really really emphasize the resurrection? When Easter. But the simple fact that we meet the first day of the week is because of the resurrection. That's it. I mean, there's nothing any more... Spe- you know, the reason why we meet on Sunday is just simply because, you know, we are, we are celebrating what happened. We're, we're observing the resurrection. I mean, if it would have happened on a Tuesday, that's probably when we would go. You know what I mean? There's no ceremony behind it other than an observance of what happened. And what makes you and I different is the very thing that made Jesus different... As, a, as the Savior, and that's the resurrection. You see, there's been lots of religious leaders that made a difference in people's behavior, but there's only been one Savior that makes a difference in a person's heart, and that's Jesus Christ, because he, he, was, he was, is risen from the dead. That is the, the dividing line there. Now, with that being said, uh, this morning I want us to consider this, that you have to receive the truth that your faith in Jesus' gospel of grace has already had a deep, powerful, lasting effect on you in the here and now. That's what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is that... See, we're constantly telling ourselves that we want to become someone or something. And the gospel about, is about, particularly the resurrection, is God's period on the question mark of your life. Because we live with a lot of question marks about ourselves. Am I this kind of person? What kind of person will I be? Uh, Does this behavior define me in this way? And see, what the resurrection does is it comes along, it takes all your question marks, puts them away, and puts a period. 
Because the Bible tells us in verse number 10, we're complete in Him. You're not complete on the basis of you becoming better and better and better and better. When we accept the fact that what Jesus has already done has already made a lasting effect on you and me, that's when we experience the completeness. We're not becoming complete. We are complete. We're not becoming something. We've been made something. That's why I think there can't be enough spoken about the identity and position of the believer because of the work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not this thing. It's someone, you know. We, in America, we treat the gospel as a thing, you know, like an inanimate object rather than the person of Christ. And it shows. It shows not only in the way that we tend to live our daily lives, but it also shows in how, uh, how we function as a body. We, function, we're very in, we tend to be very individualistic as a result of it. You know, we are all a part of our own little world. So I don't want to get too much of on that right now. I'm not saying you, I'm saying it in general, all right? Don't take it too personal yet. <laughs> yeah, yet. <laughs> you know, when Jesus said, uh, it is finished, he wasn't playing around, was he? He wasn't. He wasn't like, all right, this will make a really good Instagram update, you know? <laughs> This is going to look really awesome on Snapchat for 10 seconds, you know, until it's deleted. So what makes us different? What makes you and I different is not something that we're becoming, but it's something that we already are because of what Jesus has done. Now, uh, verse number 11, I want to see this. What has Jesus changed about you? Verse 11 is this. Jesus has removed the sin source from you. All right? And verse 11, notice what he says. And here's the phrase. You're going to notice him switch. Uh, this is the first two words of verse 11, in him, all right? He's going to switch and have a, a different concept in verses 12 and 13. But he says, in him you were, all com- off, uh, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now notice this phrase. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. When we read a phrase like that, this is what we think to ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's what we think. Because, I mean, it's such a complicated... The, the wording of the verse sometimes is kind of complicated. And we're like, what in the world does it even mean by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh? What in the world is he talking about? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, it's there. We need to know what it means. It stumped me for a long time. And here's why it's tough to decipher verses like this. Because we don't look at the New Testament as a whole sometimes. We want to look at it by, uh, on a verse-to-verse-to-verse-to-verse basis and try to interpret one snippet in the light of that one phrase. What he's talking about here is this. Remember, last time I spoke, I talked about the flesh and how it's a pattern of behaviors that we use to get our needs met apart from Christ. I know you have that definition memorized, all right? We talked about that. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about here that when, we, when Jesus Christ... The Spirit of God enters a person. There is a cutting away that takes place inside of that person. That cutting away is the sin factory of that old nature that made us born as a sinner. Now, that's very important. A lot of believers live their life like they're just this old, dirty, filthy, broken-down sinner saved by grace. And one of the things that the resurrection has done for you, the difference that it's made in you, is that it has turned that whole philosophy on its head in this way. Religion looks at you and says, you are a bad person as a believer. The religion looks at you and says, you are a bad person 
with the potential for good. The Christianity of the New Testament says, I've made you a good person that sometimes can do evil. Now, the fact of the matter is this. There are times where we do evil. We do it. We do things wrong. But here's the difference in those two phrases. It's the source. Religion makes your source, it makes the core of who you are wrong. Jesus comes along and makes the core of who you are is right. Now, let me ask you this. If you're here and you've truly been born again, you've got the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit testifies, you know you're living, you have believed Christ, you've accepted the truth for who He is, and you know for a fact that you're born again. You know it. And you could do anything in the world that you wanted to do right now. Just think of the answer. What would it be in your mind? Anything. You could do whatever you wanted. Zero consequences. What would it be? You see, for the believer, very few of us thought to ourselves, I would probably rob a bank and shoot six people. (laughs) All you that laughed thought that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) You didn't. But uh, very few of us are thinking things like that. You know why? Because as a believer, the innermost core of who we are, our want to, is not what it used to be. We may not have all the wrinkles ironed out in life, but we know that if we could figure out some light switch to just flip and make it all go away, make all the things that we do that hurts us go away, make all the damaging decisions that we've ever made or are making or are planning to make in the future just go away, we would flip that switch. We'd push the button, we would check the box, and we would say, I never want to do any of those things ever again. Because we know what they cause in our lives, don't we? We know the fallout. We know the damage. We've experienced it time and time and time again, haven't we? And if we've been born again, we, would tr- we truly want that. You know, a lost person doesn't want that. A lost person wants what their own, the only thing that they can want, and that's what their nature dictates to them, just like it, that's what your nature dictates to you. You see, that's what he's pointing out, that Jesus Christ, being in Christ, he has cut away who you were and has created a new you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the things that makes you different. You don't make you different. Jesus makes you different. Your behavior doesn't make you different. The gospel makes you different. The minute that we accept that, you know what's going to happen? We're not, I despise, despise, this is just a, maybe I be, better be careful. No, despise is a good word. It is. It is being recorded. It's going out on the Webernet. I'm just trying to think how much weight I, I despise self-help books. I hate them. I hate them. I can't stand this in this, the emphasis that philosophy and this world's thinking puts on us to make ourselves so much better. Now, I'm not talking about changing things that hurt us. I think you know what I'm saying. To where it's like it puts all this... I mean, I, I watched a documentary on Netflix by this... What is this dude? I couldn't watch it very much. He was driving me crazy. Um, oh, man, what is his name? Tony Robbins? Is that him? All right, this is what Tony Robbins does. He just screams at you forever, all right? I mean, just, I don't know how the man's not dead, all right? Uh, you know, his voice is, I mean, it just sounds like he's been eating nails and gravel his whole life because all he does is scream at people. 
and yells at them. I mean, let me just look, don't let your kids watch, it's all I gotta say, all right? I mean, he's like a drill sergeant. So he's just screaming at these people about how much better that they can be. And you know what? He is a millionaire. People throw money at him hand over fist for him to yell at them and tell them that you can accomplish your dreams. Do you know that life is not about your dreams? Life is about the dream that God has for you. It's about the person of Jesus Christ in you. And it looks good when he gets up there and yells at you and you can start your business or whatever the case may be. And if you enjoy him, please don't take it personal yet. That I mean, if, you're, if you like him, whatever. I'm not coming at you. I'm just coming at the fact that life is not about what we can dream up that we can gain from this world. It's about what Jesus has already provided for you and I and what he's provided for you and I in the future as well. The cutting away of that need to make ourselves into something. It's all about location, isn't it? You sell a house, location, location, location. Your spiritual life is all about location, location, location. In Him. Functioning from in who He is. Some, you know, sometimes, and maybe you've never thought this, uh, and I'll, I'll throw it out there. If you have, please shake your head that you have so you, I won't think I'm the only crazy one out there, you know. Um, you know, I used to think to myself, well, if God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin and that, you know, the whole world was going to be plunged into sin and that all the suffering was going to come, why did he even do it? You thought that before? Yeah, everybody's thought that before. You know why, you know why he did it? Because in, in eternity past, you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that Trinitarian aspect of the oneness of God that I'll let somebody else explain to you in depth, okay? You have that oneness of God in perfect fellowship with each other, absolute perfection, everything right about the relationship, a relationship of, a, a, of a, an acceptance and a love and an understanding that we still only see through a glass darkly, you know. So what does that kind of love and acceptance and understanding want? It wants to share it with somebody else. When you have a love for someone, you don't just sit back and admire them and do nothing, right? It's active. It goes after the person to demonstrate love. And God said, I want, to, I want, I want everyone, someone, I want someone they need to experience this. And then there's Adam and Eve, you know. And for all the fallout that comes as a result of what the sin nature has cast upon humanity really to know what it means to be in him really makes that something that we're willing to deal with now. We're willing to take. We're willing to, to have to experience to an extent. Not all the time. Don't feel like it, though. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I'm sitting up here super spiritual. I'm like, you know, it's, it's fine, Jesus. You just go ahead and let whatever happen happen. No, there's sometimes I get mad. Well... More than sometimes. <laughs> All right? There are moments in life that I'm not happy about things. You know, there's moments in life where I look at God and say, hey, thanks for ripping me off here. And uh, I th at, later on, when you stop and you think about what you said, it makes no sense, you know. So let's move on. I think I feel like I'm getting bogged down here just in the first verse here, and I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Look down in verse number 12 with me. I'm going to skip some stuff. We're going to move on down here. In verse number 12... 
you know what? No, I want to say more about this. I'm sorry. I got even if we don't get to the rest, who cares? I, I want to say this. I want to. I don't. I want to push this point because I think it's so important. When he talks about this body of sins being put away, uh, let me read a couple of verses. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to read Romans chapter six, verse number six. I'm going to read verse six and seven. Actually, he says, "Knowing this." He says that our old man was crucified with him. Now, let me ask you this question. What was the point of crucifying somebody? It's very simple, class. To kill them dead. All right? <laughs> so when it says right here in Romans chapter 6 that our old man was crucified with him, what does that mean about your old nature? It's dead. It does not matter how you and I feel about that. It's like Ben Shapiro says, the facts don't care about your feelings, all right? They just don't. And the fact of the matter is, is that who you were before you came to Christ is dead. As we say in the South, he's deader than 4 o'clock in the morning, you know. He's dead. Old man was crucified with him. Why? That the body of sins might be what? Done away with not struggled with, not self-helped out of our lives, but the actual activity of sin that, do, that dominated us is done away with. He goes on and says that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. What does that say about us? It says about us that who we are on the inside is fundamentally completely different than who we were before. It doesn't matter how bad you were before or how quote-unquote good you thought you were before. If you have came to Jesus Christ inwardly, spiritually, and in your heart, you are different. That difference is a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Watchman Nee put it this way. Uh, he said, the blood of Christ took care of our sins. And that's true. Only blood, you know, uh, blood for sin. That's the way that it's always been. The blood of Jesus Christ took care of our sins, and the cross took care of the sinner. You see, here's the reason why, and this is, and I don't know if we'll get through it, but this is something that I, I love talking about. When Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. When Jesus came out of the grave, you came out of the grave with him. Jesus did not come out of the grave alone. Did you know that? He took everyone out of the grave with him that he knew would believe on him. Now, just because Jesus knew who would be saved does not mean that he made them get saved. All right? That's just, some of you will know why I said that. Some of you won't. And if you don't, just thank your lucky stars that you have no clue why that even needs to be said anymore. Anyways, I'm tempted to stop there, but I won't. It's really tempting, though. Something was desperately wrong with you and I that the gospel has removed from us. Removed. It hasn't suppressed it. The, the Jesus Christ doesn't come in you to suppress anything. Jesus Christ, when he enter, his spirit enters us and dwells in our body, it is to remove the thing that made us what we were and add the person that makes us who we are now. The reason why this is important is because it doesn't matter. As long as we attend, we, we come to church and we get together with other believers, there is all, and, and we read the scripture and we pray, 
there is always that voice in our mind that says, you are this. It's always there. It's either drawing from something that went on in the past. It's either speaking from something that's going on in the present. Or it's accusing you about what you think might happen in the future. Isn't it? Because we tell ourselves, well, I, nothing, I'm, nothing really serious is going on with me now, but I used to live my life terrified that I would do something. I did. Especially when I was a pastor, because, you know, pastors, they, you know, they, it, you, everybody just watches everything that you do when you are a pastor. They do every single thing. It's not fair, to be honest with you. It's not. My kids could run laps in the church and people would be like, well, what is his kids running? Their kids are like on the roof with a makeshift parachute about to jump off of it and it's cute. You know what I mean? You know, I literally, people come up <laughs> from the smallest things. You just drive me crazy. I, I, this one lady that uh, was in our church for a number of years, and this back when I wore a tie because ties are more spiritual. And uh, <laughs> if my tie was even crooked, this lady would say something to me about it. Not like in a joking way, but it's like kind of passive-aggressive. I remember one time, I can remember, it's funny, when I, I grew up, and I don't know, I'm digressing a little bit, but we're going to get back. Uh, but uh, I'll get back. Um, I never wore jeans to church. When I lived in Utah, that's, that's all you wear is jeans. Everybody wears them. I mean, you lawyers wear them. You know, you got your work jeans, then you got your day-to-day jeans, and then you got your church jeans, all right? So, so I can remember... The first time I wore my church jeans, you know, which at that point, all my jeans could have been church jeans because I'd, I'd wore them everywhere. So I wore them to church one day, and I, people were typically used to seeing me in a suit, you know. So I had a suit coat on and a tie and jeans. Um, that's enough. And uh, so uh, this lady comes up to me, and now she's wearing jeans. And uh, they, like, owned a ranch or something. So she comes up to me after church, and she goes, why are you wearing jeans? And I said, well, why are you wearing jeans? <laughs> this true story. I'm not exaggerating this. And she said, because I wanted to. I said, well, there you go. <laughs> I have no clue why I told you that story now. But it was, it was a funny one. Let no man judge you. Thank you very much. <laughs> the stenographer has brought me back. <laughs> and, you know, it's very easy to allow the judgments of other people, the judgments of our past religious experiences, the judgment of our family, the judgment of society, the parents, the judgment of your kids. Your kids don't dictate to you who you are as a parent at all. All right? They don't get to look at you and say, you're this kind of parent. You know, they're 13. They wouldn't even wake up in the morning if it wasn't for you, all right? Your spouse doesn't get to determine what kind of person, who you are. They don't get to do that. That's reserved for one person. <laughs> yes. If a husband just said amen, you are a dead man. All right? That's all I got. <laughs> um, judgment, identity, and position, they're reserved for one person. Jesus is the only one who gets to do that. We can acknowledge it, but we only have the right to acknowledge it based on what he says. That's it. Now, I'm not saying, and here, here's the cat, here's the, the phrase, here's the, the parentheses. 
When you hear things like that said, there's always out there in the Webernet world or even, even in this room it could be. You know, it's not beyond us. We think to ourselves, so what are you saying then? Are you saying whatever, I, when I do things wrong, it doesn't matter? All right, let me ask you a question, all right, before we get into that. After you do some sort of sin, are you ever satisfied with the results that come from it? No. All right, so let's not even bother asking that question anymore. Because of course not. Only, uh, only the spiritually immature ask that question after someone explains grace, identity, and position to them. Now, that's not an insult. That's just the truth. Because when we're immature, our mindset is based on I get based off of what I do. When we move, begin to move into maturity, our minds begin to change. And we begin to realize that I get based off of what he's done. And I do because of what he's done. And I respond because of who he is. And I live based on who he says I am. That's when we begin to move into maturity. Down in verses number 12, I'm going to finish this up, I promise. Can, can I like have like five more? Are we good? No, seriously. I mean, I, you might have a pot roast in the oven, all that. You know, I don't want to burn anything. Well, I don't know. When I was, anyways, I'm digressing again. Verse 12. <laughs> now I'm distracted by pot roast. Verse 12. Uh, uh, that's a good thing to be distracted. Stop it. I got to focus. Verse 12. It says, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. You notice that phrase, with him, with him, you see it? We move from in him to with him. Verse 13, and ye being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus, or what is, well, I guess Jesus did say it through the Apostle Paul if you want to get technical. He's saying this. Not only has the sin factory been removed, but the separation has been removed. That can't be said enough. Because the enemy, the first thing the enemy wants to do with you and I when we begin to grab our identity and our position from anywhere other than Jesus, he wants to put a wall up between you and Jesus, doesn't he? He wants to put some kind of barrier between you and the one that's made you who you are because he knows that if you and I accept what Jesus Christ says as true, and by the way, our, the, the, what's true is not contingent on you and I believing it. It is not. It sounds really spiritual to try to make it into that, but that's just another way to humanize something that God's already done supernaturally. And when you and I just simply accept the fact that what's true is true, the enemy knows that that's going to begin to change you. He knows it. It's not always flash in the pan difference either, is it? I mean, it's like your kids. They weren't born and then they were 18 years old. Sometimes that would be so much easier. Especially between the ages of about 13 and 16. I'm sorry, you guys are great. But if we could just hit the fast forward button. Or maybe just keep hitting the rewind and keep them in the, between the ages of about 8 and 12. You know what I mean? There we go. By the way, guys, your mom will always think you were 13 years old. Deal with it, all right? It's just, it's a, my mom still treats me like that, and I'm four years old. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you later. I'm preaching here. <laughs> I don't even know.
even know what I was going to say now. <laughs> exactly. It's like I get up here and the spirit of Benoit comes upon me and I can't focus on what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Romans 6. We'll just read a Bible verse. That'll cue us up. All right. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. You see, when we hear the word baptized, we think of water, right? And depending on your background, it could be sprinkling, dunking, or whatever the case may be. But we think of water in some way. The idea of baptism that Paul is using here is a matter of identity. It's a matter of identifying with something. Because when, and even under the Old Covenant, there would be Gentiles that would come into, uh, you know, live in Hebrew culture. And there was a number of things that went on with that. And from time to time, they would actually be baptized or they would be washed. They were required to wash. And so that then identified them as, hey, now I'm a Hebrew. Now I'm a Jew. I follow Yahweh or whatever the case may be. It was an identifying mark. And what, what Paul's saying here is this, is that you were identified, you were baptized with Christ. You didn't do that for you. Jesus did it for you. You were baptized into not only the death, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's so much more uh, that we could get into. Look at verse 14. We're going we're to finish up with this. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Now... What is the handwriting of requirements that was against you? The law. Notice that it says that the law was against you. That doesn't change once you're born again. Now, I'm not saying the law is bad. It's just not going to help you. That's all that he's saying here. Just because you're born again, it does not, there has not been any kind of magic fairy dust sprinkled on the law that is suddenly going to sanctify you in a way that it never could before. It is absolutely mind-boggling. And they say, well, when you say things like that, you're antinomian. That's a big fancy word that you're against the law. Nobody is against the law. We're just so pro-Jesus. We're like, we'll just take this law thing and put it over here because this is the guy that controls everything about who I am now. You know, Moses, you gave it your best shot. (laughs) Failed, you know. God didn't fail. We failed. We needed something bigger than the law. And that person is Jesus Christ. He blotted the thing out. He wiped it out, as what the New King James Version says. The writings that were against us and taking it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. What happens when you nail things to the cross, class? They die. Not only are we dead to it, it's dead to us. There is death there, and death brings separation. It is the ultimate separator. And so what he's saying here is this, is that the legal sentence has also been removed from you. In Numbers chapter 16, chapter 16 and chapter 17, uh, God used Moses to lead the children of Israel right to the door of the promised land. You remember the story with the spies and Joshua and Caleb, the whole nine yards. He said that you're going to eat from trees you didn't plant, you're going to drink from wells you didn't have to dig, and this was uh, uh, signifying that the rest that God was going to give to them, he was going to hand it to them, say, here it is, it's yours. Well, because of one thing, it wasn't murder, 
It wasn't selling drugs. It wasn't adultery. It wasn't pornography. It wasn't grand larceny. It wasn't from someone stealing somebody else's donkey. There was one thing that kept them out of the promised land. Unbelief. That was it. That doesn't seem like a big deal to us, does it? We're like, oh, well, that's all? That should tell you and I this. Accepting what's true is the biggest thing that can happen in your life. So they came right up to the door, right up to that rest, and they balked in unbelief. You won't believe how big those guys are. Look at that wall. There's no way we can take them. We're like, the Bible says, we're, they, they made this, this statement, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. They were accepting an identity about themselves that God didn't put on them. And so as a result, they balked. They, 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 they just hit the pause button, didn't they? And for the next 40 years, all they had was funerals. That's it. Just one funeral after the other after the other. Afraid to move ahead because they were unable to return to Egypt, all they had left was the desert. And it was filled with boredom, monotony, and dryness, and death. That's why some people look at Christianity and say, well, it doesn't work. Well, that's because you've made it all about you. Christianity isn't about us. Hence the word Christianity. It's about Christ. It's about the accomplishments Christ has made on your behalf. Not about the accomplishments that you make on your behalf. I'm not saying... Here's what I'm saying. God wants us to stop trying and he wants us to begin to just receive what he's already done for us. And that's what rest is. Rest is accepting something. And we're terrible at accepting gifts, aren't we? Think about it. If somebody just walked up to you right now with a gift wrapped up and handed it to you, especially in the South, all right, we'd say, oh, you didn't have to do that. Well, of course they didn't have to do it, all right? If they had to do it, it wouldn't be a gift anymore. You, you understand how this works, right? And every time that happens, you know, somebody gives you something, and immediately you want to dismiss the fact that they did it. We are terrible at receiving things, folks. Even if we don't say it, we're thinking to ourselves, and then we're thinking to ourselves, okay, let's just, let's just go to Christmas. First off, guys, we are, we're terrible at buying presents, all right? Ladies, do us a favor. Just write us a list for the love of everything and just tell us what you want and we'll give it to you in a surprising way. Stop making us guess. It's not fair, all right? Anyways, I'm just trying to help us out, guys. I can do it right now, plus I'm not married. And so I'm just, it is good advice. Anyways, so Christmas time comes around and you're, and the wife just buys you this killer present, man. She just, next level, you know what I mean? The first thought in a man's brain, or maybe I'm speaking for me, I don't want to be the representative of all men. If I were, we'd be in trouble. But in my brain, what I'm thinking is, is, oh, great. All I got her was a toaster, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we immediately think to ourselves, my gift, what I have to give, has to equal the same value of what the person gave me. We think those things, don't we? We'll come to God with the same thing. That's why we have this mentality that when God, when we realize what Jesus has done, we think to ourselves, oh, i got to equal that. Well, good luck running yourself into the dirt to try to pay Jesus back for everything that he's done for you. You are the payment back to him for what he did for you. That's what he did it for. It was for you. 
He didn't do it for how awesome you could be. He did it because of how awesome he is. And he wants you. He don't want what you can do. He's not looking for soldiers in an army regardless of what the hymn book said, all right? He's looking for kids and a family. As a Christian, you have the very life of Jesus in you because Jesus Christ raised from the dead. What's different about you is what Jesus says is different about you. Now, you say, well, how does that work? Well, how it works is this. Don't go make a 10-step plan to change. Just make a one-step plan. Your one-step plan is this, to know him. That's it. Let everything else, and from that, from that life, everything else is going to grow. So let's pray, all right? Father, thanks for your love. Thank you for uh, the scripture. There's no way that uh, we could uh, manipulate truth or make up a truth like this. Uh, So we're glad that not only is it supernaturally given, it's supernaturally received, and it's supernaturally lived. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right.